this week, this week that was just passed, I guess I realized that Sunday is uh, uh, technically the first day of the week, but so last week then it would be we made reservations. We is, a, is an editorial term. It means whoever in our family uh, took this task upon themselves this time. Uh, but we made reservations for our family vacation in June. Um, we rented two houses right next door to each other in Florida. And um, it will give us the eight bedrooms and four bathrooms that um, we need to be together for a week. And sometimes it will still seem insufficient. Uh, it will still seem quite uh, crowded. Uh, we used a site called Verbo, uh, VRBO, Vacation Rental by Owner, because we are not the owner. Uh, we are simply renting somebody else's place there. Um, we've used this website before. Uh, you know, many times we've, we've used it, and it's worked well for us. We rent places that really would be nice to own. I mean, they would be, uh, but, but uh, we, we don't own them. Uh, we get to use them, which is, which is really nice. Um, you know, we rent the places for a week, only a week. Uh, and the website's loaded with places, really, that it's just a lot of fun to look at. Well, for some people it's not, you know. Uh, but I, w I was looking at it uh, then uh, later this week, and I thought, well, people talk about the Outer Banks and Hilton Head and all that, and, and uh, look at them. And I don't know what algorithms they use or whatever made them think that I could afford these places they were showing me. Um, but it was like, oh, that's really nice. Oh, that's, you know. They're, they're spending one night what I'm, I was hoping to spend for a week. You know, it's a, a, a little bit different. But we get to use this really cool place that's not ours. And they come fully furnished, uh, ready to go. You just, you go in. I mean, they have, they, they have everything in there for you. Um, you know, and uh, you, you bring your own food. Uh, but... You know, there's stuff to cook with and on and serve food and, you know, all those things. And it's really nice. You just kind of walk in and you're ready to roll, ready to go. Uh, we get to use somebody else's stuff. It's really kind of neat. Um, that's kind of a picture, a little bit of a picture of what stewardship is. Now, not the renting part, you see. That, that renting part's not the part I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being able, able to use what we, what we don't own. Now, our challenge is, you know, with stewardship is we forget we don't own it. Uh, stewardship is, is a very important part of biblical teaching. I mean, it is, it is loaded in the Bible. Jesus had more to say about money than pretty much almost anything else. Um, yeah, he, he spoke about money a lot more in our use of it and its use of us uh, a lot more than we'd like to think about. But this whole idea of stewardship, it involves more than money, but certainly it, it, does, involve, it does involve finances. But um, we're going to spend four weeks looking at the important subject of stewardship. Let's pray, and we're going to get into our beginning of it today. Father, thank you for your grace to us shown in many ways. Uh, you are an amazing God, as Anastasia reminded us. The fact that you look into our hearts, the depth of my heart, and you still love me the same. Man, that's love. That's love. 
And when it comes to things, uh, sometimes we all, we all have areas we struggle with, Father. We all have areas that um, grab a hold of us a little bit more than others, and sometimes a little bit more than is good for us. So teach us from your word that as we look into it, we will be reminded not just of our responsibility, we need that reminder, but above all, reminded of your love and your grace to us shown in Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. As I was working on this, I was reminded of uh, Vince Lombardi. Now, some of you know who Vince Lombardi is. He was the uh, coach of the Green Bay Packers. He coached Green Bay Packers to uh, to a win in Super Bowl One and Super Bowl Two. What is what was this one? Super Bowl what? Fifty six. Yeah. So you know. Uh, this is a, a long time ago. The Super Bowl trophy is named after Vince Lombardi. Uh, it's called the Lombardi Trophy. Uh, you know, he was also famous for the way he began spring training. He would stand before 50 to 60 professional football players uh, you know, that started the training. It's always whittled down a little bit. Uh, you know, they have certain deadlines they have to meet where they cut people. But he has this whole you know, room full of, of men who had been playing football for years. I mean, they've just been, they've been playing football for years and playing well enough that they were now professional football players. They were, they were getting paid to play football. They were getting paid to play a game. Uh, that's how good they were on it. And he would stand there and he would hold up a football and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would begin spring training that way. He started by reminding them of the very basics. He started by reminding them of, of, of what the whole thing was all about. Over this series, I am simply going to remind you of four basics. Are they the most important? Not necessarily. They're the four that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, you know, as we think about uh, stewardship. Uh, let's start with a very basic definition of what a steward is. A very basic de definition of steward. A steward is someone who manages another's wealth. You see, the, the steward does not own the stuff. He is simply managing the stuff. We don't really use the term steward too much. We use the word manager. A manager, if you have a manager at wherever it is you work, if you have a manager, what they are doing is they are managing, they are stewarding the property of the owner, whether it's a corporation or whether it's an individual. They are stewarding, making sure that it is well cared for, making sure that it is running well and that all parts, all parts that play into this are, are working and operating as they should, whether it's employees or, or, or the uh, equipment they use or the products that they sell or the building that houses them, whatever it is. And, you know, they're responsible. Part of their responsibility is, is overseeing that. Now, as a manager, you know, the, the, when we think of stewardship as a manager, we have the privilege of using and enjoying the wealth. And a manager does. But he is still always to use that for the benefit of the owner. 
The manager is always to use it for the benefit of the owner. The, the manager, you know, even at work, the manager is not to do this for his, you know, to, to pocket all the money himself. That's how you get arrested. Uh, you know, it's, it's so that you, you are using it for the benefit of the owner. And as God's people, those who have a relationship with Christ, that's what we're talking about, those who have a relationship to God through faith in Christ, one of our misunderstandings is that we own it. That's our struggle. You know, that, that, that's a battle for us, is when we begin to believe that we actually own what we have. We either forget or we ignore or maybe we never realize the reality that all we have is God's and we are simply his stewards. We are simply his managers. All of the stuff is his. Psalm 24 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and he established it on its rivers. He is the creator. He is the one. And all that there is belongs to the Lord. Psalm 50 says, I will not accept a bull from your household or a male goat from your pens. He, this is, you read this psalm and as you read through the psalm, he's talking about, about the gifts and, and how sometimes you know, people think that they're giving something and you know, then God owes them a little bit. Uh, you know, he says, I'm not going to, I will not accept a bull from your household or goats from your pens. For every animal, everyone in the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains. And the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and everything in it is mine. It's not just Old Testament and New Testament as well. Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in a shrines made by hands. 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Uh, you know, it, it, now some people object, you know, and sometimes they say, you know, I, I work for what I have. I work for what I have, so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm free to do with, with it as I please. You know, it, it, what I have is mine. I've worked for it. We forget. Let me remind you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me because I'm such a genius. I'm such a talented individual. I work hard. I earn this by the sweat of my brow. Dude, that's how you know I was paraphrasing part of that. And, and, and you know, so everything I worked, I, I worked for, and I gained this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm His covenant He swore to you by your fathers, as it is today. That what we think we've earned by our own is only earned by the grace of God and by what God has done in us and what how God has enabled us and how God has set things up for us that we are able to earn wealth. Now, each of these four weeks, we're going to look at one foundational truth regarding stewardship. All four are important, uh, yeah, but if you don't get this first one settled, the one we're looking at today, if you don't get this settled, you are going to struggle with everything else. You are go Every time something comes along and you say, wouldn't that be nice? You're going to struggle with it. <laughs> One time, Ginny and I went, you know, uh, somebody allowed us to, to um, use their timeshare. 
which was really kind of cool. We really enjoyed it. But part of the agreement of using the timeshare, that, that not from the people who let us use it, but the uh, owners of the timeshare facility, was that we had to sit down and listen to the sales pitch. To, and some of you have done this. You know, I get a free vacation. Well, it's free if you don't mind investing a couple of hours. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just telling you the facts. Uh, so, you know, we had to sit down and listen to the sales pitch. And it was interesting, but we went into it knowing that we're not going to do this, you know. And we kind of kept up that attitude through the whole thing. And it was very interesting. Uh, and I forget how many thousands of dollars they started out with, but it dropped down to um, really, you know, pretty stinking cheap uh, what it was. Well, we still didn't do it, you know. Uh, you know, the, the thing, we, you know, we sometimes, I kind of wonder why I brought this up. But, you know, um, we, uh, we, we forget sometimes, you know, and if we don't get this, this, this first part settled, uh, every time we get into a position like that where we think, oh, wouldn't this be nice, you know. It would have been nice to be able to go to this place. It was a pretty cool place, you know. But uh, wouldn't it be nice if we don't get this first part down and get a good hold on that, we're going to struggle every single time we see it, whether it's when we're sitting in a sales pitch or whether when, when you know, we, we are seeing a, a, a new car and, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Or if we're, if we're walking through the tool section and we look and we say, ooh, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? If we don't get this first part down, God is the owner. And I am simply his steward. He is the owner. I am simply a manager of the possessions that he has put under my care. I simply manage what he has put under my care. You know, our very life is an investment from God. Uh, the last two Sundays we, we were looking at, you know, uh, in Jeremiah, and talking about the fact that God knows us. He knows our days. He called us to himself. Uh, he is the one who has given life. He has a right to expect a return from what he has invested in us. Now, our main text today is Matthew chapter 25. Turn there with me. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. It's on page 912, if you're using the Pew Bible there. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is teaching in, the, in this chapter uh, what people who are part of the kingdom, part of of his kingdom, uh, what they, you know, how to live as we prepare to live with him in heaven. This is, <clears throat> this is our dress rehearsal. You know, this is, this is, this is the part where we get to practice, if you will, the dress rehearsal for, for living with him. Now, being in his kingdom, you know, being in his kingdom means just that. He's king. You know, he, he's king, he's the leader, and we live under the authority of the king. If you live in a kingdom, you live under the authority of, of a king. Uh, and you live committed to that king. The people over in England, and that, that's really kind of a modified monarchy, uh, they, uh, you know, they're celebrating the queen's, I don't know what it is, I might get this wrong, but it's the jubilee because she's been queen like forever. Um, well, just shy of that, uh, you know. But the, you know, uh, you know, her, her, the cylinders still seem to be hitting for it. You keep going, lady. We need people like that. But anyway, uh, you know, these. Why are they celebrating that? Because they are committed to her. She's important to them. 
You know, and, and it's just a little bit of, of a picture of what it means to live in the kingdom there. Now, this, this first part of this chapter, and the first part of chapter 25 here, he tells a parable about ten virgins preparing for the bridegroom's arrival at the wedding feast. And, you know, five of them do a good job, five of them don't, and um, they get locked out. But uh, anyway, we're going to start in verse 14. <coughs> verse 14 starts the second parable about life in the kingdom, to follow along. So it's for it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, uh, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received the five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't gathered seed. So I was afraid. And I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But his master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I was thinking, Notice here, though, in this teaching, Jesus starts with just what I said we need to get straight right at the very beginning. It's not the servant's property. It's not their property. It says very clearly that the man turned over his possessions to his slaves. He turned over his possessions to his slaves. Now the word slaves picks our pimples a little bit. We don't we don't like you know we, we just don't like that. It has an ugly it has an ugly history. Now the word is more accurately bond servant. Uh, you know that's a more accurate translation. But we don't even we don't even identify with a bond servant really. A bond servant is a slave who when presented with the opportunity for freedom, when he's presented for that opportunity to go and, and, and you know, do his own thing, he instead, chooses, he instead he chooses to stay with this master. When he had that choice for freedom and do his own thing, he says, no, I'd rather stay here and serve you. That's what I would rather do. That's the word, that is, that's the word that is used here. Out of love, he makes a free choice to stay and serve the master. So when he says slaves, that's what he's talking about. It's not slaves like, like we think of, of, of slavery. 
uh, you know, in that regard. Now we're told the master gave each of these bond servants talents. Now talent was a weight. You know, it, it, uh, it was, you know, he gave them currency. You know, money, precious metals, oils, all of these things were currency in their society. He gave them his wealth, it says, his possessions. What exactly he gave them is really not the important part. You know, that's not the important part there. Uh, but the amount that he gave them is an important detail. We look at this and we think, well, of course, sure, one guy got ten, the other guy got five. That one poor dude, he only got one talent. He got stiffed. Well, one talent, the weight, one talent, equals about 20 years worth of wages. 20 years worth of wages. You should have, it, it's tax time, everybody's favorite time of year, and all of you should have received the W-2 form, 1098, whatever it is that reports how much money you made, you know, whatever it is, however you're getting your, you know, your income, you should have gotten something that tells you, you know, how much money you made. Um, whether you think it's a lot or a little, here's the deal. 20 times that amount would get your attention. If somebody handed you 20 times that amount of whatever, whatever income you had in a year, if somebody hands you 20 times that amount, you go, hey, yeah, now you got my attention. Each man was given a considerable amount of money. All three of these men were given a considerable amount of money. Now, if you look at verse 15, it tells you the criteria that, the, that the, the master used as he gave them. It says, you know, that he gave them each man according to their ability. He gave it to them according to their ability. The master knew all of his servants. He had observed them. He knew, he knew what they could do. He knew their abilities. He knew their talents. He knew their, 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 their uh, uh, leanings, their, you know, their, their, proclivities of what they, what they would you know, like to do and stuff. And now remember, each one of them received a very significant amount of money. So he trusted all three of them. He trusted all three of them. But he took their abilities into consideration when he gave them his possessions. Now, God who made us, he knows our abilities. He knows what we can handle. And he provides for us accordingly. Now, we struggle a little bit because we usually think we can handle more. Now, to say this more clearly, we usually want more than we have. We usually want more than we have. Whether we have a little, whether we have a lot, we usually want more than we have. One of the things I notice is we usually when, when we get a raise, um, what, we, what oftentimes we will do is we, we get a raise, let, let, let's say we get a raise at, uh, you know, $5,000 a year. You say, oh, that's a lot, but that's irrelevant. Let's say you get a raise of $5,000 a year. So what we do then is in our mind we go, ding, 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 and we spend $6,000 a year. We make a commitment to do that. Five thousand. I can get a new car. And this is because we struggle with this whole thing. This whole this, this whole thing. Of, I, I want more. Now the master provided his servants here with a tremendous amount of wealth, but notice he leaves it up to their own discretion what they do with that wealth. He let them choose how to use it. He didn't tell them what to do. He, t he left it up to them how they used it. 
Well, that's, that sometimes causes us to think that all that God has provided us with is ours to do with as we please. You know. The reality is we have to understand we have a decision to make. We have a decision to make. As we look at all that we have, as we look at all that comes in, we have to decide how we're going to use it. We have to decide how we are going to manage each investment that the Lord has entrusted to our care. We decide how we have to make that decision of how we're going to use everything he has entrusted to our care. Now, the first two servants here, you know, they showed, you know, they, they invested what they were given. It says the first one, the one who got the most, it says immediately he went out. Well, the master knew his abilities. He knew his, what this guy was bound to do. And it says he immediately went out. You know, now they took a risk. You, you see these, these, these uh, servants here, these slaves, they, they took a risk based on what they knew would please their master. That's what they were doing. And they were ready. They were excited to tell their master about what they had done when he returned. Now, the master, we're told, is pleased with the efforts of the first two. He spoke well of them. He gave them more things, you know, to care for, you know, to care. He gave more things to them in, in their responsibility of stewardship, of management. And he invites them to share in their happiness. Now, there's the goal we all want. Happiness. That's why I want more. Because we too often associate more with happy. Happy, happy, happy. That's a different sermon. Uh, but uh, the, the whole thing, we associate, you know, we associate having more with being happy. You know, and and that, that's, not, that's not the point. Look at it here. Their happiness didn't come from getting more. Their happiness came from being good stewards of what they already had. Their happiness came from being good stewards of what they already had. Not because of the fact that they got, they got more. Their goal was not happiness. You see, and we need to get in our head, that in our head. Our goal, you know, the goal is not happiness. Their goal wasn't even more money or more possessions. That wasn't it at all. Their goal was to serve the master well. That's what their goal was, to serve the master well. And happiness, the happiness was simply a byproduct. The happiness was a result of, of their goal to be a good steward. Their happiness was a result of their goal to, to serve their master well, to manage his stuff wisely. Don't get those two mixed up. Don't get, those, don't get happiness and, and serving. Don't get, those, don't get those mixed up. Now, the third man failed. He failed at happiness because he failed at stewardship. He failed at, his, at the management. And it, you know, it wasn't because he didn't have much that he failed. He had a lot. He had 20 years worth of, worth of finances here. Now, the other two had more, but that didn't change the fact that this guy had a huge sum of money at his discretion. A huge sum of money. You know, because the man was afraid he might fail, he never even tried to succeed. Because he was he he, would, he didn't even try to succeed. In 2005, uh, the Chicago White Sox were in a World Series, which was the first time in a hundred years. But anyway, it was, uh, they, they were in the World Series, which they ended up winning in, two, in in 2005. Now I watched the third game of the series, all five hours and 41 minutes 
of that 14-inning game. Uh, you know, I'm, people ask me, are you a, a, a Cubs fan or a Sox fan? Yes, uh, I'm a Chicago fan. I, I like to see him do well. And, and so I, w- I watched all five hours and 41 minutes of the game. Now, I was not the only one who watched that game. Um, Jeff Blum, he watched for five hours and 15 minutes from the White Sox bench. Now, some of you don't even recognize that guy's name. Uh, you know, he was put in in the 13th inning. In the 13th inning, he was put in and not much of a chance to play, not much time at all, really. Um, it, you know, it, it, in the 14th inning, he went to the plate for only his second time in the World Series. Now, you know, you, you go to the World Series, you'd like to get in and play. It was only the second time, uh, you know, that he was put in there. The other time was, was in Game 2. And um, he did the uh, tremendous thing. And again, he was put in, you know, as a substitute. He didn't start the game. And he was put in expecting to do something, and he popped up to the infield. Rather ignominious uh, thing. Well, here he was. By the time you get to the 14th inning of the World Series, you've gone through a lot of players. So uh, Jeff got, uh, got his call, and he went in there. Well, he gets up to bat in the 14th inning. There were two outs, nobody on base. You know, nobody on base looks like they're going to be going to the 15th inning. The first two pitches thrown to him were balls. Weren't, weren't even, you know, there to hit. On the third pitch, as the third pitch comes in, he swings and he hits a home run. Turned out to be the winning run of the game for the White Sox, who then went on to win the World Series. After the game, he was asked why he swung at a 2-0 and count. We're not talking that, you know, this was, you know, Babe Ruth up there. We're talking that this was, you know, Jeff Blum. It's like, dude, what were you thinking? Why would you swing at it? You know, baseball strategy, you don't swing at a 2-0 and pitch, particularly when you need base runners. You, you just don't do that. He's, you know, he swung. They asked him why he swung at it, and he said it. He thought, well, I may as well swing at it. You see, he was not afraid to take a chance. You know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't afraid of popping up again. He wasn't afraid of really not making it. Now look at this third man's response again in verse 25. He said, so I was afraid. And I went off and hid your talent in the ground. He let fear stop him from doing something. He let that fear... If you, let, if you let the fear of failure stop you, you will never succeed. You know, if you let the fear of failure stop you, you are never going to succeed. Now, that was the third steward's problem. He was afraid he might not succeed, so he didn't even try. You know, we may not be equal in resources, but we can be equal in effort. You know, and more effort brings more opportunity. I watched my grandson Michael play soccer, and um, and as he was getting into it, something, and I, and I told him, I said, Michael, you need to hustle out there. You know, you need to hustle. I said, if you hustle more, you know, the coach is going to notice that. And if you hustle more, what ends up happening is you have more opportunities. Well. So he started, you know, hustling more. And because he hustles, you know, because he hustles when he's out there, 
there's, there's a lot of players that have more talent than Michael does out on the soccer field. You know, and there's guys that are faster than him and, and bigger than him and, you know, and have played for longer than him and can really do the soccer thing better than Michael can. Uh, and, but because Michael hustles, he is, he is there where the ball is more often. And I have seen him score goals. In fact, in one game, I saw him score five goals in one game. That's a lot in soccer, you know. Uh, But effort makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. This third steward didn't even put in the effort. He didn't even put in an effort. I think an important an important point for us to learn from comes in verse 24. Notice what he says in verse 24. He says, Master, I know you. You know, Master, I know you. He knew his master's desire. He knew his master's heart and he chose to do otherwise. He chose to act in a manner that was not in line with what he knew about his master's desire. He chose to act in, you know, not in line with what he knew about his master's heart. He chose to be a poor steward. If you're going to be a good steward, a good manager, you know, who can successfully deal with the challenge of being pushed by the, uh, this would be nice, you know, to be pushed by that temptation. If you're going to succeed in that, you know, you're going to have to know God's heart. And you're going to have to know God's desires. And then you're going to have to put in the effort. You're going to have to live them out. Now that means you're going to have to spend more time, you know, learning who God is. You're going to have to spend more time, you know, understanding God's desires. You're going to have to spend more time learning His heart. These are all found in the Bible, are all found in the Word of God. You need to get yourself in the Word of God. You want to be a better steward. You want to be a better manager. You want to be a better person for God. You better get into His Word more. You know, live, and then live in line with the knowledge that you have. The third steward did not do that. Now, don't overlook the result. You see, we, the result we often look at is the fact that these other guys got more. Don't overlook the result. Look again, verse 28. So take the talent from him. Verse 30. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we think, well, that's a little severe, isn't it? Uh, you know. Here's the deal. His stewardship revealed that he didn't really care about his master. This, this one that he had pledged himself to as a bond servant. That this pledge he had made, you know, of, oh, I want to I serve you, I want to you know, I, I stay with you and serve you, that this pledge he made really was empty. That his words were totally empty. He was self-serving. He was not serving his master. He was not serving his Lord. He was only serving himself. He was living his life so that he could have things easier, so that things could go his way. He didn't really care about what the master had to say. This guy was a phony. He was a fraud. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, So we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in this body, whether good or worthless. See, it's not the work. 
It's what the work shows about where our values and where our commitment is. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the Lord and have to say to Him, I knew what you wanted, and I knew who you are, I knew how you wanted me to live. I just didn't do it. That's what this guy said. A steward is entrusted with his, with his master's possessions and the steward you know, then serves his master and uses those possessions even when his master is not present. If you're going to successfully deal with the continual battle that comes when you think, you know, wouldn't this be nice? Get a good grip, a good grip on the reality of this foundational truth. God owns it all. I simply manage his possessions. God owns it all. I simply manage his possessions. And because of that, I should get to know him better. I should get to know what it is he wants and how he wants me to live. Get to know God's heart. Get to know God's person. Get to know God's desires and then decide that you're going to be a good steward with what you have already been given. Not what you would do if you won Publishers Clearinghouse. But what you would do right now with what you have already been given. God is not really interested in your resources. Somebody said, whew, I'm glad about that. He's not really interested. He is interested in your effort because your effort shows your commitment. Your effort shows who you are serving. How you use all He has entrusted to your care shows who you are serving. Serve the Lord. Even when you think no one cares, even when you think no one notices, serve the Lord because God cares. God notices. One day we will give an account for how we used and how we managed all that he has given each one of us. God owns it all. I am simply his steward. I simply manage all he has given to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your trust in us your care and your love, the way you have provided, the way you continue to provide. And yes, Lord, sometimes we struggle with that. Thank you for the reminders in your word and the realities of your truth that tell us and and remind us and call us to something higher, something more than we are right now. You're not looking to discourage us. You're looking to encourage us. You're you're, You're looking for people that you can trust even more. We want to be one of those people, not because we can get more, Father, but because we can serve you. Help that to be our goal, to remember that we simply manage all you have given us. We are your managers of your stuff. Thank you, Father. Guide us, motivate us, cleanse and correct us when we need it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.